Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Anybody there? Hey, how's it going? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I know it's a it's a pretty tough time right now for a lot of people. I actually um, I was expecting a lot of folks to back out, you know, with good reason. But uh, it's been a very very strange and difficult time. I think you might have guessed by the the list I sent. You got me on a um, where when I'm pretty fired up, so <laughs> I'm happy to delve into some of the more problematic things this morning. It's just been, yeah, I I cannot be on Twitter recently. It's been really hard. I think it's very overwhelming to hear the news of something, but to to see yeah. the response in real time, I think, is just so much that we are not mentally built to handle that much information all at once. And there is a, a deep sense of despair, <laughs> to be honest with you, in my mind right now. Hopefully we yeah, can... I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry about that. I have ADHD, so this might happen a few times. Um, <laughs> but fine. yeah, no, I'm a civil rights attorney in my day life. And so, um, mm. yeah, it's just, it's really depressing because not only do we have this, which is horrible, but then there's a bunch of other things. and. Are you also Texas-based? No, I'm actually in Wyoming. Oh, okay, okay. Very interesting because Texas, I imagine, is a unique situation because you, you're sort of a microcosm of of the country in in the way that it steers a lot of our conversation, our national conversation. Yep, yep. I think us in Florida have that distinction, right? And yeah, not just the microcosm of the country, but of the worst of the country, and so. You know, it's going to lead to a bunch of um, really difficult things here first. Um, I think Mm -hmm. we're kind of like, I I guess they would call it a bellwether. But I know when the draft opinion uh, for Dobbs leak, I think the first one of the first things our governor tweeted was about how they're going to go after the right for every child to have a public education in the U.S. because they don't want undocumented immigrants to be educated so it's mm. it's going to be a very long fight and i don't right. necessarily see an ending which i think it, a lot of people probably are also feeling right now yeah well it seems like the floodgates have opened for these tactics right to just completely decimate civil rights for um many groups of people and this seems like it's only the beginning unfortunately but to get to know a little bit more about you, I was hoping to see if before we get into our list of things that we wanted to talk about, if I could get a little bit of background on where you come from and how you've arrived at this place of finding your writing, workshopping, and of course, 
finding yourself in a very, very difficult world. If we may start at the beginning, then we'll get into into a lot of these pressing things that we need to talk about. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think part of the um, part of the the answer to that question uh, is that it's always been a really difficult world, but now I think more people kind of understand at least part of what the struggle has been for a lot of different groups. Mm-hmm. So I grew up across the country. I'm starting in like a campground over in South Florida in pretty bad poverty and then violence too. Yeah. So part of my, my story is that both of my parents probably have mental illness. I know my mom does for sure. Mm. My dad left at an early age. And before that, we like were fleeing him off and on. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, I'm writing a memoir right now and it also informs a lot of my fiction. Mm-hmm. But it is, yeah, it's a lot to to kind of talk about. And a lot of, I, you know, I feel like a lot of, there are a lot of narratives um, that I've experienced that I don't always see out mm-hmm. there in literary fiction and in creative nonfiction. Um, but yeah, so I, that happened. And then because of my mom's mental illness, we were in between like trailer parks and homeless shelters and housing projects until like I graduated high school. I did really well. I'm like one of those... Um, mm-hmm fucking like model minorities right that like if, if shoot for the stars like fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's its own like trauma trauma thing um yeah. trauma byproduct and so i ended up going to duke which was like amazing like it, yeah. sort of a fairy tale yeah and, like ending but not really like duke was not a great place and then i went to cornell law which was actually better um practiced in corporate law in new york city for a while i had ptsd during a lot of this time Mm -hmm. uh so it wasn't it wasn't easy i stopped writing so i stopped writing in 2005 then um did the corporate law worked as a attorney after that helping the unhoused population in dallas Mm -hmm. worked in poverty law in southern virginia so i've i've always jumped around my childhood was spent between like florida georgia columbia the country uh Mm -hmm. arizona and texas and so at this point, I work on school to prison pipeline issues and issues I affecting see. students with disabilities in South Texas. Mm-hmm. And I came back to writing at the beginning of the pandemic, like a few of us. Yeah. And I've had a really good experience. I mean, I'm, it, I, it's just a gift to be able to come back because I couldn't for like 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been wonderful um, and really soul enriching. I can imagine. And first of all, I just want to thank you for sharing a little bit of that background and for your remarkable story, because it, it seems like a lot of the things uh, and a lot of your origin is now influencing for the better, the work that you do in your community. And which I have to say is incredibly important. I imagine that you stay pretty busy with the kind of work that you have to do down there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's between, um, I'm either working, I got I got four huskies. I got a garden. Oh yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or I'm writing, so like I I stay busy. Uh, but it's it's a good busy. Yeah. And a lot of my writing too is influenced by my background and by what I do for for work. I I can't help not being influenced by it. Right. But yeah, hopefully, you know, everything I'm doing will result in some net positive change. It's just real. I did not realize until the pandemic how difficult it is to do that in this state. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hopefully in a year or two, things will get better. 
Let's let's hope so. Let's keep looking for something something good down the road. Now, feel free to reject the question, but from the mid two thousands to now, and and not go without writing. I'm curious how you make your way back to it. Was it specifically the pandemic where you felt like I have these things that I need to that I need to get out of my system, or was it just like it's time? You felt like it was the right time. Yeah, I know that's it. That's a really good question, um, and hopefully my answer can be helpful to others who kind of go through that. I think um, when we talk about sort of that model minority myth, right, mm-hmm. people don't always talk about the toll that it takes. And so not just you know the trauma, but adjusting to like, you know, that new rarefied world you end up in and then dealing with stuff that you maybe hadn't dealt with because you were doing so well. Like you were, you know, they, they talk about like high functioning, right? Which is a terrible word, mm. but you're high functioning. So people were like, you're all right. You don't <laughs> necessarily need help. And then you're like falling apart on the inside. So mm-hmm. in the meantime, I had a bunch of compulsive behaviors, addictions, and I ended up getting them like under control, but it took a journey. It was a very long journey. Um, and once I was you know, stable and my mind was clear enough, I could come back. And I really credit continuing um, on on the fact that I was lucky. I have some resources that other writers don't have, mm-hmm. right? And so I was able to do all of these workshops, study with really generous, like wonderful writers, like last back was with Kali Fajardo Einstein. And mm-hmm. she is such a gift. Um, oh, yeah. And she was so encouraging. And then I had one bad workshop and then I had a wonderful workshop after that with teacher Madden, also such a light, right? <laughs> um, I was workshopping part of my memoir, which is obviously pretty difficult based on just, mm-hmm. you know, what I had to go through and um, the workshop before that, some of the comments were, you know, you really want like a happy ending, you really want to see this character change and have agency. And I'm like, it's, it's nonfiction. I can't. <laughs> change some of the things that happened yeah yeah <laughs> right and so but then t Kara was like you know they're just natural readers and you're you're wonderful um your writing is wonderful and like that's really what i needed to hear um i don't think in workshop that always happens but yeah. i've been really lucky to have those people oh that's great to hear so if we could open the conversation a little bit more on that workshop arena here you mentioned that there is a problem with workshops that we might have to dig into you mentioned uh workshopping alongside white writers has been a difficult experience for you if you could share some thoughts on that yeah thank you for that and it's something that i think about maybe writing an essay for at some point it's a hard thing to discuss um because it some point you know i I know there there are a lot of white writers out there i have a lot of (laughs) such a happy thing to say right i have a lot of white writer friends Mm -hmm. that i value a lot actually um but i i think when you don't sometimes go through some um experiences in marginalized groups you don't always understand how certain writing may come off and so i've had these terrible workshops and it just continues and i'm i'm kind of at the point there's some wonderful BIPOC workshop spaces out there mm-hmm. kind of at the point where like, that's all I really want to do. Cause I've read, I've had to read like submissions of, you know, a college professor it was a nonfiction piece, like chased out a student, uh, one of his students with schizophrenia from a college, uh, from his college, um, per- tried to persuade the therapist to get the, the student involuntarily hospitalized for longer. The student in the, like towards the end of the story turns out to be 
also a black student. Mm. The professor talks about fantasizing, wanting to kill him, like just oh, really wow. horrible shit, right? Oh, and like goodness. it's just loud. It's just allowed. He's still, you know, by the end of the story, he's still cyber stalking this poor student, ex student. Um, I've written, I've had to write, or I've had to read, sorry, about like an undocumented immigrant mom dying in a river crossing the border with her son. Again, written by a white writer. Right. White supremacy. And and there's this idea, I think, um, that's in vogue right now in literature about these unlikable narrators. And I mm-hmm. think people are kind of trying to push that envelope. Yeah. But at the same time, um, they forget that those stories, like they have every right to write whatever they want to write, but mm-hmm. it makes workshop an unsafe space for some. Yeah. And I think the counter argument is, you know, we want, we want people, we want writers to take risks. We want people to explore things, but they seem to ignore the harm they create. So is there such a thing as the appropriation of trauma that is becoming a, a bigger issue in these workshopping circles? And I, I'm genuinely curious because I've not had experiences in workshopping uh, the medium of, of poetry in particular. I just I come from the theater, which is a little bit different, but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do write poetry. I think the primary uh, genre that I workshop though will be probably fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always for me, like genres like blurred, like the, the lines <laughs> yeah. are not clear. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as far as appropriation of trauma, that's a, that's a really interesting, it's like an evolving idea right now. And I also struggle with that. I think mm-hmm. there was that recent New York times article about how, you know, trauma narratives are kind of, stale and like the the implication that you have to write trauma is problematic but Mm. for a writer like me like a lot of what i've experienced is trauma yeah and so i can't help but write that Mm -hmm. there are complications right i sometimes think especially when i get certain feedback in workshop am i just writing for like voyeurs like is this like do people read me and feel like um my experience is exoticized um or something to kind of be spectated at but i i can't necessarily think about that i'm mm-hmm. i'm just writing what i know and i'm just creating my art that i think is i think is honest and whatever yeah. happens after that you know is is kind of out of my control but right. it is kind of a a thorny issue that i grapple with mm-hmm. So you can't really be thinking of the outward response when you're in the creative process. It has to be just an immediate moment of channeling the things that are on your mind rather than to, to sit down and say, today is, is the day that I'm going to be expressing this for this intent and the theme is going to be this so that the reader can, <laughs> can get this impression. It's never about what impression it's going to make for you. Yes, although I think there's a question about harm um, that I think is really difficult, and I, I, I think also because I, you know, do art alongside a lot of other BIPOC creators, mm. we do have these conversations a lot. I don't necessarily see them in white spaces as much, but for whatever reason, and so like I think a lot of us are, are probably <laughs> scrutinizing our own art in a yeah. way. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's not productive but but you know you're you're touching on something that it makes me think about this idea of like hyper scrutiny that minority folks have to do and marginalized people are always kind of on guard about where we're just constantly investigating before we're even done whether what we're doing is 
is a good representation, <laughs> right? Like, is that, yeah. is that something that we're getting better about, like in, in your experience with workshops? I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> I, and these are big questions, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And I'm trying to kind of like think about a, a good response. It's a hard weekend to be super positive about anything right after that opinion. Yeah. Um, I think the interrogation is helpful to some extent. So one of the, one of the pieces I got, or one of the pieces of feedback I got in a, in a kind of mixed workshop recently so I, I am sort of uh, femme-identified, like my gender identity is still kind of this evolving thing. Mm. And um, I actually have a really difficult time because I don't understand them writing, especially um, straight men characters. Mm. And so my novel, there is a lot of violence. Part of that is like my childhood, like there was a lot of violence towards my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lived in Columbia, I remember I was like four years old. So some of my earliest memories, I remember news items about these activist women um, being caught by the drug cartels and getting their, their tongues cut oh, out. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like really hard shit. And so it comes up in my writing and there was a comment from someone in workshop about, you know, what is all this violence against women's bodies? And so it's something that I have to think about, of course, like, because it was a mostly white workshop, they didn't also detect the fact that, there are all these brown bodies also because I they were all Latinx characters. All these brown bodies also getting, mm-hmm. um, you know, brutalized. And so, you know, I I think in the moment thinking about some of these implications is difficult, but I also don't want to create harm. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> so yeah. far what my answer to this has been like in the novel, like I solve it with more violence. So like, but if if there is a climax to my novel, which is not complete. Um, there is at the very end a um, sort of a massacre at a all-you-can-drink drag brunch, um, mm. and it's a massacre of a bunch of gentrifiers. Oh, I and see. so that's kind of my answer. That's kind of like what I. It's not a happy ending, but what I. Sure. It's a a better reality than what my people currently live in. I, I do think, and I've seen it in some of my. Um, my favorite writers right now um, who are writing um, this idea of reclamation, like taking back Mm. our power. That is something that I want to continue to write towards. uh, And it's a future that I hope, you know, if anything comes out of right now will happen, Mm. but yeah, to go back to gritty. So (laughs) what (laughs) my issue with it. So, and it's a, it's kind of a strange thing to take issue with because it's almost when people talk about my writing, it's almost always meant as a compliment. Like they say it's like so like detailed and realistic mm-hmm. and gritty. And what they mean, I think, is that it's real. But what they also mean is that it's about poverty and about mental illness. Um, and so like a way to kind of, um, I guess, make this a little bit more um, more of a tangible critique so there was this white writer on twitter who i kind of i sometimes if you look at my twitter Mm -hmm. uh, which is my name aurelio with an s at the end uh i can be a little feisty um (laughs) but this white writer wrote about how he was like very exhausted and tired of all these magazines who wanted gritty literature and he defined gritty as um crime mental illness filth substance abuse poverty and how they didn't really, when he sent in his stuff, 
they didn't really want that. Mm. And I just take issue with all of those things being lumped together. Yeah. Um, why aren't we talking about, why aren't we using Gritty to talk about like a short story where a protagonist breaks up in between vacation homes and Montauk and the Poconos, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, what, yeah. why is it only experiences of poor people and, and people of color? Right. Well, it becomes a, a label to separate, right? Gritty is out yeah, of the norm. It, it is out of the norm as if we never experience poverty or violence on a day-to-day basis in, in some shape or form. Yeah, and to exoticize. Mm, yeah. That is definitely something that I'll be considering uh, in terms of the word gritty. Um, but <laughs> so I mean, I, I even had, an, and, and bless his heart, I had a uh, literary magazine editor graciously accepted one of my pieces, and he, t- he like gave me a compliment about how he loved them, and they were gritty. He loved them for their grittiness, and I almost like withdrew that. Mm. except for publication um yeah and i think in the future i would i mean it's hard because i'm starting out but i'm getting to the point where like it's hard to burn bridges but at the same time uh if i don't stand for anything i don't stand for anything yeah and that's actually uh it leads us to to the next thing that we wanted to talk about which is the the political being personal personal is political have you always had this resolve for your values and what you stand for? Has it always been something that's at the forefront of your mind? Or did you acquire that later on in life? Yeah, that's a really great question, too. Because um, I've done some thinking around this, and it's a, it's a hard truth, right? Um, I think about, so I went to like probably one of the notoriously, um, I don't even know, like a there is no real, all of the adjectives that could apply to my high school are problematic. Mm. So it's a segregated school. Uh, it's a feeder school for six different housing projects. Mm. Um, my zip code had the highest teen, at least at the time, the highest teen pregnancy rate in all of the U.S. And so, you know, in my state of Texas, there's a lot of talk about critical race theory. Like you're not supposed to teach kids about whatever the fuck that means. You're mm. not supposed to teach about like slavery and segregation and that queer people are people too um but at the end of the day i wasn't taught that growing up nobody that like i went to high school was taught that like that wasn't we weren't we were barely taught to be honest um Mm. i had some great teachers but if you weren't in advanced classes um they just kind of let people you know students do whatever they wanted i had in one of my non-advanced classes a kid did heroin next to me Oh, wow. uh, another yeah yeah powdered heroin so you know mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if that makes it better it probably doesn't <laughs> uh another class they smoked weed and so like it would and, and the city of san antonio itself is pretty apathetic um because i think people there's a lot of poverty here people have been so disenfranchised so that's where i come from um at my civil rights organization where i work there's a my boss, he's been an activist from a very early age when he was a teenager. That's not necessarily my story. And that's not a story of a lot of people in my community, although there are wonderful activists there today. Um, and so, yeah, I, I radical, radicalized over time. Um, I did not understand when I went to schools like Duke what they were. Mm. Um, I remember a lot of... Um, white students coming up to me talking about how terrible affirmative action was, how unfair, um, 
and at the time I felt a lot of shame and I, I felt the pressure to assimilate that a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I think part of my PTSD honestly was being in that environment mm-hmm. and, and slowly realizing how unfair everything is and yeah. And how alien <laughs> that environment was to me. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I eventually came back and, um, to working for people for the communities where I came from and you can't help but like know and like be surrounded by the realities of our nation when you're in these positions. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it informs everything mm. and I'm glad I mean, I'm so thankful that I have that perspective, but not everyone that I went, that I grew up with has that perspective because they're, they're intentionally not taught, um, right. the realities they grew up in. So do you feel that having this knowledge or feeling like you are empowering yourself through your personal story and in your writing, is that something that that can be used as a tool to share information about um, or to the community? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. The the readers that I do talk to, you know, they, they do talk about being moved by what I write about and some of them not really like knowing ever knowing that reality and being thankful to know it. Um, I have to think that art just as a whole is a, is an agent of change. I mean, what else is there? Um, we have been, to believe, right? Yeah, we have to believe in something. And so I, you know, art is spiritual to me. Um, mm. and you know, I hope by whatever means I can, I can kind of, um, push the needle of change forward. Yeah. Can you define your spirituality if there is a way to do that at this time? Yeah, it's really hard, you know. So, um I'm my mom's Colombian, but I think like a lot of Latinx people we don't really talk about we talk about like the European ancestors, but we don't talk about kind of the other. And so like mm. I don't know what my like tribes were. Yeah. My my mom's family's from the Caribbean coast of Colombia. And so some of my family members are very dark. I'm not, I'm white passing, um, Mm. which is complicates things, um, in a number of ways. Um, and so, yeah, as far as my spirituality, I, I I don't know. I, I think of it a, a number of different ways. Um, I think as a person with mental illness and a person that, that creates art, um, there's just something a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like my sure. art, like it's just, it, it, it just comes from such a, I don't know, such a place that's unexpected to me. Like, especially recently I've been creating and like, like I wanted my novel to be something that w- would have been marketable to the masses. I, I thought like the house on Mango Street with like a little bit more magic, like that's what mm. I was going for originally, yeah. but it's just fucking strange at this point. <laughs> I have like a, <laughs> A skeleton driving, uh, or an ice cream truck driving skeleton who was a beauty queen and a spokesperson for a um, a company like Chiquita back in the day. <laughs> so just fucking random shit, right? No, I mean, but but, but I think you're spot on because it comes from a from a place of genuine perspective, and sometimes there's there's a lot of fear that arises from it because you are truly 
your own self. And I actually kind of got a smile at that image because, because that sounds so badass that I'm like, oh, that would be, that'd be pretty amazing to read on a page. But do you feel that there, there is a decent working relationship now between your mental illness and writing, if there can be such a thing? Yeah, yeah. And going back to the spirituality piece, I, I will say I believe in some kind of animism. Like I, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm very close. I have my dogs and then I'm just, um, I always, I don't know if you can hear the birds in the background, but I'm always kind of trying to stay in nature and mm-hmm. then, um, and, and communing with it as much as I can. I notice, and this kind of goes to, to the second question. I notice when there are years where I didn't really notice like wildlife and birds, but when I'm more centered, like that's what I, I kind of, I can see the world around me versus being like inward focused. Mm. And it's, same, it's the same with writing. Like I cannot, I have tried, but I cannot use like most controlled substances, mm-hmm. um, including like the fucking like, because I have ADHD, right? Like yeah. I can't use like Bocalin or Vyvanse or Adderall, like it, which like sucks in a way, but doesn't um, because mm-hmm. it it just interferes with whatever connection to spirit I have, and it interferes with my ability to access um, my creativity. And so, yeah, it's important to me, like this year has been really difficult, but it's important for me to try to stay as balanced and not weighed down by life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, and and life goes on, right? Especially in this pandemic, my mom's been, she was in the psych ward for a couple months this year Mm -hmm. um, with her own issues. And yeah, I've just been trying to, to stay afloat. I mean, it's all that a lot of us are, are trying to do yeah. during everything. It feels like the sky is falling all the time, but my <laughs> art is kind of my refuge from all the rest. Mm. Well, we have to have those anchors, right? To, to keep yeah. us, keep us grounded in some sense, because uh, yeah. if we, if we open the, the canvas too wide to take in all of the world at once, we, we probably wouldn't make it. It's just too much. Now, yeah. In in relation to obsessions, uh, can you tell me about what that word means to you? Yeah, I think it's it's always really interesting when I write. Sometimes I feel like I'm writing the same story, but I'm again and again I'm I'm exploring a question. Like a lot of my writing, because um, I grew up with this very like antiquated catholic view of sexuality and gender identity a lot of my writings about queer game mm-hmm. and so i'm writing about the same it feels like sometimes almost the same like young boy to young adult man just dealing with coming to terms with who he is or she is or they are mm-hmm. um and so yeah i i, I think just kind of lean into what moves me and at the end of the day it it might be the same character i'm writing about but it's always a little bit different and it's not necessarily stories that i see a lot of then there's other like there's images that that keep coming back like when i was growing up in my housing project there was this like and like super random stuff this sewer drain that stopped draining and then the kids would play and it was like this black water is weird um but like that comes up a lot and just kind of exploring that and using it as sometimes even like a a symbol grounding the work that i do i already mentioned it but like the ice cream truck jingle <laughs> which is such a pervasive part of my childhood because <laughs> i live in so many different neighborhoods i don't know if everybody grows up with the ice cream truck but like 
it always was around. Yeah. So yeah, just exploring like what fascinates me and like trying to figure out why it does and not casting judgment because I think sometimes we're like, oh, we're writing about that again. Like trying to figure out like what is it about that and conveying to that 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 makes you kind of stuck or, or whatever mm-hmm. the non pejorative word <laughs> or at <laughs> or is and then writing into that space and hopefully that that resonates with others. Yeah, and I, I think that you've kind of hit the the nail on the head with this idea of obsession because it is a kind of problem solving that thing that won't leave you alone. Um until you you really start shaping it into something that that communicates something that speaks louder than you know just a common phrase or or an old memory in your mind it becomes a fully formed thing but i've had some some interesting opinions about the the catholic church and and the hurt that it causes people and so i think that it's uh, in, incredibly commendable that you you take a lot of that and you you're able to open yourself up to share that grief and give a language to people who don't have that language yet. Um, I think, yeah. you know, like in, in just in, obviously in some of the, I've only read just a handful of your poems that I've, I saw on Twitter, but um, it's difficult, but you're doing such tremendous work to build your community and you're bringing people into the fold with, the work that you're putting together. It's very exciting to see. And uh, I'm really happy that, that it's out there. Thank you. Yeah. And to speak on a, a couple of things there. So yeah, I don't, I, I think I don't, I, I like to think that things have changed enough in the last decade for, for kids who, you know, are not cisgender and, and uh, straight. And I don't know. I know when I went to, to high school, there were only maybe a couple students that were male identified and queer Mm. and those kids were like in and out of juvie. Right. I mean, they obviously Mm. probably had a lot Mm. um, that they were dealing with um, as did a lot of us. Um, And so, yeah, just speaking to that experience and I mean, it's still, I I, I see all of the positive acceptance of, of the queer community and all the corporate corporatization of pride. Right. And so Mm. like bad or good, um, there is some good there and uh, that there's more acceptance, um, but there's still like the, the DL, the download culture, like there's still a lot that especially marginalized communities are struggling with uh, due to uh, colonial messages. And then there's one other thing that you had mentioned that I wanted to comment on, but it, it escapes me now. <laughs> it will probably come back. Yeah. In, in due time. But <laughs> you mentioned guiding lights and inspirations. Could you comment a bit about what that means to you and what you mean by that? Yeah. And so, and again, maybe it's a like kind of unspecified spiritual thing of mine. Um, whatever, whatever, um, tradition that, that powers, um, my art, but there are, there have always been people in my life that, that have been there for me. I had amazing high school teachers at this like notoriously difficult high school like just mm. i mean miracles right and, yeah. and they didn't just help me i've had great teachers back in the day and now um, through the the uh wonderful gift of zoom been able to do so many workshops and so 
in addition to like Kali and um, Tikir, who have been wonderful mentors to me, um, writers such as Den Michelle Norris, Hilary Leichter, Karen Russell, Lydia Yuknovich, who is amazing, and uh, Nicole Schwann Jr., like so many wonderful champions of not only emerging writers, but uh, writers from marginalized communities. I just completed Roots Wounds Words, uh, their inaugural conference, mm. uh, which was wonderful, uh, taught by uh, my conf- my workshop was taught by Disha Filia, who uh, I uh, highly recommend. Uh, Roots Wounds Words is a uh, organization founded by Nicole Schwann Jr. and it is specifically for BIPOC writers. Um, oh, cool. She, yeah, she did such a concerted effort to get queer identified writers uh trans writers uh writers who have had law enforcement involvement writers Mm -hmm. who were you know poor or who are poor she's just a a tremendous gift to the literary Mm -hmm. community that we have oh that's wonderful now uh just a couple more questions here to to be mindful of your sunday but can you tell me how one individual who is interested in playing a part in a community, how can somebody go about getting started to join a creative community like the the lovely ones that you've talked about? Yeah, and I think part of it is just like knowing where to look. And so that's like one of the things um, that, you know, one of the reasons I am dropping names is so that you know, people can take advantage of, of the people that not take advantage, but like, you know, experience um, the gifts of the people that I've worked with. Um, But there are, there's so many wonderful communities for uh, different marginalized groups. Um, There is Bona and they've done great work for many years. I went to a writer's intensive uh, and my workshop was taught by Maurice Carlos Robin, uh, who's one of my favorite short story writers. Now my mind is going blank. Paraplus. Uh, <laughs> Paraplus is a wonderful fellowship program for emerging BIPOC writers. Um, and my mentor is Daniel Pena, who is a, uh, he, he was a Houston-based writer. He recently moved to Dallas, but he's so generous. Um, and so, yeah, I've, you know, there's Canto Mundo, there is uh, the Watering Hole, uh, there's the Mac- Makondo conference. So there's a lot of different resources, but I, I think sometimes it's hard to find when you're starting out. Um, but just going on like poetsandwriters.com or, um, you know, mm-hmm. getting writer friends on Twitter, um, you can kind of yeah. figure out what to apply for. <laughs> Bless you, Twitter. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's, it's bad and good. I, yeah, I, yeah. I almost like left it. There's so much, so many like stupid like writing. Uh, wars that happen on there and I'm happy to take part in some but <laughs> I don't know if you saw there is this whole um ha over uh the writer Jumi Bello did you see that controversy no I'm I'm not that deep into into the uh yeah the the deep conversations just yet <laughs> yeah 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 and I, I think like the thing also is that there are so many like sub communities too. So like mm-hmm. theater and playwriting Twitter might look very different from fiction. Twitter looks very different from poetry Twitter, but mm-hmm. uh, Mel Bello is a African-American femme, my 
I believe femme identified writer uh, with mental illness. And she ended up losing, like, she had one of the most anticipated books coming out and she lost her publishing deal due to plagiarism. Oh. And then, yeah, she wrote an article owning up to the plagiarism and allegedly plagiarized like a couple sentences in that article too. And then everyone on, um, wow. on Twitter attacked her, like a lot of, especially white writers attacked her. Mm. And, you know, in the article she talks about suicidal ideation and like her mental health struggles. And I'm like, why, why would you attack someone who's clearly struggling, mm. you know? Yeah. But that is kind of the, racist ableist world that we live in unfortunately on some days or most days all days yeah yeah well lastly i just uh i got one more for you and i'm a fan of these broad general questions because i feel like we need to reach for hope whenever and wherever we can so i'm curious if there is some advice on how to overcome fear yeah i I used to have a huge, I, I mean, we all do, right? You know, mm. that, that fear of not being good enough. And this is getting away from writing, mm-hmm. but also it is writing. It, it is writing because it is about so much of our mental state feeds into our ability to, to write. Um, and I think that's true for all of us. But yeah, the, the, the idea of not uh, fearing of not being uh, lovable uh, fearing of being an imposter, fearing that your art isn't good enough. I know it was a fucking like Oprah's book club book, and I apologize for. <laughs> Please for don't. Cursing. No apology needed for anything. Okay, okay, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. But uh, it was an Oprah's book club book, but it really helps me. Um, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Mm. They're like these different uh, ideas from Toltec wisdom, and you know, I think one of the the anchoring ideas and it's been a minute since i read them is the idea that we were we are all born perfect and that there are these different societal messages that we receive that kind of corrupt that original truth and make us believe something that that is actually quite toxic and and sort of the cause of the world's problems and i think that idea that whether whatever belief system you are the idea that you know you're not a flawed being I am not a flawed being has been really helpful in, in combating some of that fear because that, that fear doesn't have basis. So that those mm-hmm. fears are based on things that often the things other people have said to you or, or messages from your television or from media of mm-hmm. any form. Yeah. So yeah, just, just stop, be, stop believing the lies of colonialism and capitalism is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh that's much appreciated and beautiful insight uh, from you. But I want to thank you for your time, of course, but also for your openness, for sharing so much insight and wisdom today. And most importantly, for the really, really important work that you're doing, not just in your writing to, to again, give language to people going through difficult times, but actually making your community better by doing work that is always swept under the rug by doing work that is going to make a huge difference in people's lives now in real time in your uh, day work. And I, it's really a pleasure to get to talk to you and to learn from you today. So I, I really appreciate no, and, it. And same here. And yeah, no, and thank you for the opportunity and, and the wonderful platform. You know what I, I guess a closing thought, you know, anyone 
can be an agent of change. There are both on the large scale, but also on the small, there are things in every community that, that can be worked on. You can, you can, you can volunteer and, and help feed the homeless. You can be part of uh, housing reform in your city, protect the housing project that, that the gentrifiers want to demolish, um, you know, uh, champion a new homeless shelter that is going up in a neighborhood that doesn't want the shelter. You know, there's so much. Mm. Um, and I, I believe, you know, we just need the collective to feel more empowered to get the things done that we need in this country. That's right. Couldn't agree more. Thank you again. Well, Aurelio, thank you so much. I'll let you have your Sunday back, but it's it's really been uh, such a blast. And uh, I hope that we get to catch up again down the road. Definitely. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at Cruisefolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love. Thank you.